So if you've heard me preach before, um, you know I like to talk about the classes I took in college. And you also know how painstakingly hard it is to pronounce them. I mean, I've talked about biblical hermeneutics. I've talked about advanced homiletics. I mean, just some really crazy words for name, like class names. Like, could they not think of any easier words to call some of these classes? But this morning, there's another class I want to talk about. And quite frankly, it's probably one of my favorite classes, and that's pastoral care and counseling. Now, the professor made two things very, very clear about this class is that one, we're not going to leave the class being counselors. You know, that's not, not necessarily the whole goal of that class. It wasn't to teach us how to be counselors. We weren't going to leave the class with a four-year PhD in psychology along with whatever ministry degree we were trying to get at the time. Now, this class taught us some of the issues that the church was facing, would be facing in the future if, like, we were never ready for COVID. But we were able to be equipped with some of the things that people would be going through um, within our congregations. Um, another thing that he wanted us to know was that we're not going to be totally equipped to deal with everyone's problems. I mean, there's some things that we just we're not going to have the tools for. And that was okay because he wanted us to have someone that we could refer if someone ever came up to us with a problem that we were just like, hey, this isn't mean in a bad way, but this is not my pay grade. Like, I, I'm very ill-equipped to deal with this. And so, luckily, my roommate in college was a social work major, so I had that checked off my list. Um, another thing that he wanted us to know was that one of the greatest things that could kind of help people get through these hard times and get through kind of the, the dissonance in our lives is community. See, community kind of it helps people get through some of their problems because when you go through something, you're not going through it alone. And one of, the, one of my favorite books I read in college was called Compassion. And it's by Henry Nouwen, and I read it my freshman year, and it has a chapter on community. So I want to read you guys just a little bit of it before I kind of get into this. But it says that Christian community mediates between the suffering of the world and our individual responses to the suffering. Since the Christian community is the living presence of the mediating Christ, it enables us to be fully aware of the painful condition of the human family without being paralyzed by its awareness. And basically that means that we are so ready to deal with these problems because we don't have to face them alone. And that's the beauty of community. Now, ever since COVID, I really feel like that we've been forced to kind of almost forget what the world was like just four years ago. I mean, the world has changed so drastically. And the world is just so incredibly divided because of some of the things going on. I mean, we have all these different opinions, and if you don't have the right opinion, you know, you don't get liked very well, and that's not how it should be. And we have to be that change, and that is the need for community. I mean, I think the church has a very great community, and that's one of the beautiful things about this church. So when I talk about community, I don't necessarily mean that it's not okay to be alone. It's not, it's not, I'm not saying it's not okay to not have alone time because if you know me, I like my alone time. I like my time where I can just kind of lay on the couch, watch TV, be on my phone, you know, watch YouTube videos, stuff like that. And I think I'm not just talking, like, I'm not talking to just myself here. I think there's a lot of people that they like to have that alone time. They like to have that time maybe after, after sunny, sunny morning worship, they get something to eat and they just pass it on the couch for three hours. 
you know, a lot of us like that Nazarene nap, you know? It's in our it's in our denomination, I mean. Anyway, but if you know me at all, you know I'm pretty introverted. I get all my energy from being alone. I get all my energy from doing the things that I like to do I'm like like to do by myself, whether that's things I've already listed, but I'm also okay with just going out to eat by myself. I'm okay with going to Walmart by myself because most of the time I have my earbuds in and I'm listening to my music. But between being a part-time youth director, a full-time manager at Culver's, um, and trying to have a little bit of a social life, it's kind of hard to be able to find that alone time. So I cherish it very much. And I'm sure there's probably some other people in this room that might feel the same way. I mean, life can get really busy. Like, I thought I was busy in high school, and then I thought I was busy in college, but I'm busy now. Like, it just, plate, you know, it just gets full. But there are some times in our lives that we feel like we're alone, and it's, maybe it's not in our control. Maybe it's not that alone time that we want. And maybe it's when we lose someone. Maybe it's when we don't get that promotion that we think that we deserved. Maybe you get the paycheck or your tax return and it's not as much as you'd like for it to be. And in those times, we can feel like we're alone and in our own struggles. But when we have community, when we have the people around us that are willing to be in that struggle with us, we're not alone. One of the things I learned from this book was that compassion isn't just feeling sorry for someone's circumstances. See, when you're in, you're in that deep struggle, you got to think of it like you're in a hole. And compassion means you're not just looking down in that hole and being like, man, that sucks. Hope, you do, hope you're doing all right. It means you get down in that hole with them. And you're, you're down in there with them. You're in that struggle with them. And you're like, I don't know what you've been through. I don't know what you're going through. But I'm here with you and through it all. And that's what community is. Community is being able to go in that hole with that person and ultimately just being able to live that pain with them. Now, sometimes we can even ask, God, why are you letting this happen? God, why, why did this happen? Why is this happening? You know, I'm not okay with this. This isn't my plan. But sometimes we forget that our plan isn't always God's plan. And sometimes we can kind of feel like that it's not okay to ask why, God. And in my opinion, I think it is okay to ask why, God, because we get through that season and we, we really kind of develop our faith stronger. But what matters is where we get our answer. If we get our answers from the world, then we've gone to the wrong spot. Now, a couple months back, I did a devotional on my phone on the Bible app, which if you're looking for a good devotional series, just look on the Bible app. They have way too many for me to even list. But it was a series about the question, why God? And there's a word for that, but I don't remember it. I used to remember it in college, but anyway. Uh, but it brought up John chapter 11, and it opens up a lot about what I want to talk, to this, talk about this morning. So if you would, turn with me to John chapter 11. We're going to be looking at verses 17 through 37. Then we're going to kind of jump around and look at verses 39 to 42. And I'm going to be reading from the NIV version. So it'll be mostly the same words that are in the Bibles and underneath the chairs. Um, so, starting at verse 17, it says, On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now, Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, 
And many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, and Mary stayed home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know now that even God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection day. But Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she said. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who has come into the world. After she said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and, met him and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house comforting her. Notice how quickly she got up and went out. They followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Then when Jesus saw her weeping, the Jews who had come along with her were also weeping. He was deeply moved by the spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, See how he loved him? Some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? So how many times are we like Martha? You know, we live the life. We know how stuff kind of works in the church and in, in our religious beliefs. We say to God, Oh, if only you could have saved this person. Oh, God, if only you had done this, done that, or anything but this. Sometimes we even have the same response to, to God that Martha gave to Jesus after uh, he says, your brother will rise again. We say we know that when we lose someone, as long as they love Jesus, we'll see them again in paradise, but that doesn't stop the pain from happening right then. And Martha even says that she knows that he'll rise again on resurrection day, but what she doesn't know is what Jesus is about to do or what his plan is or what ultimately what God's will is for him. And that kind of sounds like us. We don't know what God's plan is. We don't know what his will is for us. But we just have to trust him. And that's one of the beautiful things about faith. Is that if you just have that trust in God. It just. You, you have so much trust that. No matter what you're going through. It's not always going to be easy. But you just know that. God has you in his hands. And sometimes we can feel like. God kind of answers prayer a little bit late. Or maybe it's just not in our timing. Because we like to have control over our lives. And sometimes it can kind of feel like he never answers prayer. Sometimes it feels like he leaves us. And those are thoughts and words from the enemy himself because God will never leave us, nor will he ever forsake us. So let's take a look at verses 39 to 42 real quick. Starting at 39, it says, Take away the stone, he said. The Lord said, Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor, for he has been there four days. Then Jesus said, Did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me. But I said this to the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. Sometimes we can try to have that same response. And it does not always come right in that moment. But we can, we can thank God that he's answered our prayer, that he has, he has heard us. But it doesn't always come immediately. But another piece I really want to highlight real quick is just verse 35. 
the shortest verse of the Bible, Jesus wept. I mean, you got Jesus, Son of God, the Messiah, but then you also have the word wept. And now, in pre- preparation for this, I was like, wept, wept, wept. I'm going to look up the dictionary definition of that. So, if you look in the dictionary, it means the shedding of tears and showing great remorse and sadness. And when you think about Jesus showing human emotion, I mean, sometimes we focus so much on Jesus showing his God part that we almost forget that he was also fully human. And sometimes you think about Jesus showing emotion. You think about when he lost his temper in the temple and he flipped tables. Maybe you think about the pain that he felt in the crucifixion when he's having nails jammed through his hands and feet and the crown of thorns and getting sliced up and just feeling all that pain and just ultimately getting mentally and physically destroyed. But for me, it's here. Because it's not just Jesus is fighting back the tears where you can kind of see the water forming up in, in, in his eyes. It's not just that he's just about to cry where his eyes are kind of getting shiny. It's that he wept. And it's especially not like how it is in the movies where it's just a single tear going down because that is not realistic at all. But he's expressing deep sorrow and he's shedding tears. And he's doing this because he's meeting, those, he's meeting Mary and Martha in the pain of losing their brother and ultimately, and also Jesus' friend. And so, if you can do that in person in Scripture, what's, this, what's, what's stopping us from thinking, that thing, to thinking that God does the same for us when he sees us going through the hard times? I think God is, all, is just sitting, is sitting up there in heaven, seeing us go through these terrible things, and his heart breaks for some of the things that we go through. He sheds tears with us, is it too impossible to think that God can't show that kind of emotion? I mean, in the Old Testament, we see his anger through his wrath and joy through worship. So is it so hard to think that maybe he's allowed to show sadness? Now, God knew sometimes that we would, we would get lonely in this world, and that's why he calls us to community, because we can't just live on being by ourselves. We can't just go through these things in life and just let them bottle up because that leads to our own self-destruction. He knew that we would have to live amongst other people, people like us, people that have been through things with us and like us. And that's one of the awesome things about community because if you're going through something and you have a big enough community, there's probably someone in that group that's also faced that same thing and can share their testimony, share their experience, share how they got through it. Now, community can look like a variety of different things. And I mean, this church, we're a community. The Bible studies we have, those are communities. And even just outside of these church walls, I mean, a group of friends maybe you meet up with, that's a community. And when I was in school, uh, I had this professor that just, he meant so much to me, and he had a, such a big impact on my, on my spiritual life. His name was Dr. Stark. Um, He's now a professor, but he was on our district as a pastor in, um, for Crossbridge, I believe. No, yeah, Crossbridge. But he wrote a book, and I have it, and this isn't a paid endorsement. I'm showing his book. It's called The News is Good, and it's basically just talking about how evangelism doesn't have to be this mission that we just have to, like, when the opportunity arises, it's more this is a way of life that we can use the good news as a way of telling people the good news without going door to door. But 
a couple months back, he did a podcast, and he talked about his very first church plant in Tennessee. And now his very first church plant, he had to go out and take people to it. And so for this church plant, he went to a rehab facility. And these people are battling with addictions of drugs, alcohol, and stuff like that. But he's picking them up, and he brings them to his church plant. And I mean, these people are just they're so eager to learn about, learn about Jesus. They're, they're so eager to get clean, and they're so ready to better their lives. And w- one of the things that he talked about was at the end of every Sunday night service, they would go to Dairy Queen. Maybe they didn't have a Culver's, but, you know, that would have been my choice. But they go to Dairy Queen, and these people don't have very much money. I mean, the most money they probably get is by doing a couple things around the rehab facility, maybe a couple bucks, but it's enough to get a blizzard. Now, even if they didn't have the money, everyone in that car was getting a blizzard. And he said, that's communion. Whether it's not necessarily breaking bread, they were scooping ice cream with each other. They were sharing their testimonies. They were talking about what led them to that exact moment. I mean, and in that, in that church plant, I mean, they can forget about their past. They can forget about what brought them to that rehab clinic in the first place. They can forget about all that and just think about the one that died for them. They can think about the community they have with every single one of those other people that are in that same same exact position. They can bounce off each other. They can have refuge in that place. And when we can find that same refuge with God, we also find that comfort. And when he calls us to community, it's not just a, you know, do it when you can. He calls, us to, he calls us to community because he designed us to long for it. And God made no mistake in that. Because like I said before, he knew that we would need community in order to avoid our own self-destruction. I'm going to tell you one more thing about community and about one of my favorite professors. Um, but I had this professor that I actually turned out to be related to. It was by marriage, but I still count it. And so his name was Dr. Quantrum. And so it was the first couple of days of class. And I was like, Quantrum, Quantrum, Quantrum. That's my aunt's maiden name. And so we had the courage to be like, hey, your last name's Quantrum. And he was like, yeah, no. And I was like, that's not what I meant. But I have an aunt and her maiden name is Quantrum. She was like, and he was like, really? What's her name? I told, her, told, her, told him her name. And he's like, <gasps> and I was like, are we like related or what? And so we found out we were kind of related by marriage, but ever since then I've just been like sub cousin. And so, but the class, like, like I said, the class was super chill because he was one that taught pastoral care and counseling. And I had a class with him before that, but it was, I, I don't remember the name of it, but uh, he was super in control of his own classroom because most of the time, we would only meet in the classroom for about two or three class, class periods, and then we would eventually take it over to the church because there's a church right across from Olivet called College Church, and he was the pastor of it. And so he would take it, he would kind of let us vote, honestly. He would say, okay, how many of you guys want to stay in the classroom? No one raised their hand. How many of you guys want to meet at College Church? Because they have free coffee. And so, like, who, what college kid doesn't want free coffee? And so... Uh, we would always move over to college church, and most of the time it was a lot of fun because we didn't have to worry about uh, having to walk all the way to, like, 
through the entire campus, especially for me because my apartment was probably like a total of like a thousand feet from College Church, so I could wake up maybe ten minutes before class and get there. Um, but even the people that did decide to skip class, uh, he would call because he had their personal number, and he would be like, "Hey, how's it going?" And they're just like, "Huh?" And he's like, "Hey, you coming to class?" And he's like, "No, Doctor Doctor Q, I can't. I'm really tired." And he's like, "Oh, come on, just come to class." And you know, he he just cares so much for his students because the stuff that we have talked about in that class was super crucial and super important. And eventually, they would come to class half asleep. Sometimes they fall asleep in the class, but that was okay as long as they were there. And one of the stories that he told us about community was one that's not very fun to talk about, but it's it's a story that I just can't help but share. I remember just about everything in the story except for where it was, and that's not the most important part. Uh, but he was pastoring one of his first churches, and there was this guy that he knew pretty well, and he was a single dad with his daughter, and, but the neighborhood that he lived in wasn't very safe. It was constantly having some gang violence, and sometimes people would die and stuff like that, and it just was not a safe environment. So one night, by 11 o'clock, Dr. Quantrum gets a phone call, and it's this father, and he's, he's weeping. He's just in tears. And so Dr. Quantrum goes over to his house, and it turns out his house had been mistaken in a drive-by shooting. And in that drive-by shooting, his daughter died. And in that moment, so in this class, we're all a bunch of students that are either past, like we're different ministry majors of all kinds, like children's pastors, missionaries, music pastors, youth pastors, regular pastors. And so he asks us, and this doesn't just have to pertain to pastors, it could be just about anyone. But he asks us, what would you do in that moment? Would you start quoting scripture? Would you say that it was God's plan? It would say it's God's will? And he said, no, because it's inappropriate and that's not at all what he wants to hear at that time. In that time, he just got on the floor with this man and they just wept over the death of this, of this man's daughter. And I mean, that's, that's, that's compassion mixed in with a little bit of community because he would not have known that man if he had not come to this church. And like I said, this, you don't have to have a special call to ministry to be able to do this. I mean, this, this is just community. It just happened to be that this man called Dr. Quantum. But you could be that person that someone calls when they go through that hard time. And so, if you're looking for a community, I mean, this is a great place to start. I mean, we have all these different things that go on. We have the Sunshine Ministry Group. We have different things that are going to start coming up here soon. And ultimately, just this church in general is a great place to start with community. So, if you guys would pray with me. Heavenly Father, um, I thank you so much for this day. Thank you so much for these people. And I just thank you so much for the lives that they have and wherever that really leads them. Um, Lord, I pray for this community, how you've blessed it, how you've, how you've made it what it is. Um, I pray that you would continue to bless this congregation, bless this community, and let it be known that they are who they are because of you. And we are living examples of, of your, um, 
your son's sacrifice. And we are living examples of the good news. And so, Lord, I pray you would just be with everyone in this room, be with them throughout this week, and just, if there's someone in this room that doesn't know what community is, I pray that they would find it this week, whether that's here or someone or something out outside of these walls. In your name that I pray, amen.